So, if you have your Bibles, we are going to be all over the Bible today, so I really can't help you, but I would commend you to open your ears and eyes and get ready, because this is going to be a fly-by week, and if you are new to the chapel, welcome. My name is Ryan, and I'm your pastor. One of the things we're doing in January, and we will do this every January, is to go over the sort of the state of things at the chapel, at the church in, at, in lar- at large, the, the global church. And we're also going to cover some issues that I think are very important for the church, capital C Church, every year. One of them being either Bible or prayer. We're going to cover sort of on uh, every other years where we just zoom in on one aspect of what, the, what it is to read the Bible, love the Bible, know the Bible, or uh, based on what God talks about communicating with him, prayer life. That's something that people have a lot of questions about. Then next week we're going to do the state of the church, the lowercase c church, that's the chapel here. We're going to talk about what the chapel is, what we're all about. Uh, if you saw we had some new vision slide and mission slides going around, that's going to be next week. The week after that is the state of the church globally, the fact that now the uh, majority of the Christian church is actually um, non-white, non-Western civilized people, that the Eastern churches and the, the countries from around the world have overtaken by population, which is awesome, and it's shaping Christianity in a new way. We're going to talk about that. Then we're going to talk about race wars. That's going to be a very intense, probably, and I don't know if I want to use the word race wars, but there is so much racial tension in our country. There's so much... Uh, put in the news about this race and that race and and these riots and these cities that I want to bring the gospel to the center of that issue and say this is as how we should live as Christians in light of the good news of Jesus and then we're going to close it out with a sanctity of life sermon and then we're going to head into the month of love everyone tracking with that there's your January there's your cheat sheet Um, let's pray and we're going to jump into today the Bible father I thank you for your word I thank you for this new year God, I pray for those people who set resolutions that you would give them a holy resolve. God, I pray for those people who have already failed at their resolutions that you would give them uh, your love and kindness. And Lord, I pray that this year would be a year filled with your word in our hearts, our heads, and our hands, that we would not only look at it and think about it, but that it would influence our affections and that it would influence our actions. We love you. We commit this morning to you. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, Amen. amen. Okay, so when I got saved, it was awesome. I loved meeting Jesus. One of the things I didn't know were all the sins that I had to stop doing. You guys kind of know that. The very first sin that I got, um, it's called rebuked. In Christianity, when you sin, sometimes a loving brother or sister that doesn't like you will rebuke you. Um, It's a word that means correct you, and if you do love someone, you should correct them. But the very first sin I got rebuked for was cutting in line. This was the first one. I mean, I had a lot of worse ones in my life that they could have gone after, so I was kind of grateful. But I became a Christian. I did the whole, like, dedicate my life to Jesus thing. And then I was in line with a bunch of students at my high school. And, um, and as you can tell, I'm built for stealth. No one can ever see me coming. And uh, so I just kind of slipped into this line, all six foot six of me, and I was like, boom. And then the little tiniest girl in my, my choir at school just taps on my shoulder. Boop, boop, boop. And she goes, you cut. And I said, yep. And then she said, you just gave your life to Jesus this week. You cannot cut. (laughs) Looking around. Anyone see this little girl talking to me this way? So I put my head down, went to the back of the line. Jesus, do you really think I can't cut? I didn't read that verse yet. (laughs) Because I didn't know the Bible yet. And by the way, I read the whole Bible just to find out. And you're allowed to cut, apparently, because I couldn't find it anywhere. My story with the Bible goes on because I was at a church where the junior high guy quit 
and I was loud, and I would talk in front of people and tell people about Jesus because I didn't know any better. I, w- I didn't grow up in the church, so I didn't know that I was supposed to be scared of evangelism. So when I got saved, I just told my youth pastor, what do I do? And he said, go tell everyone at your school about Jesus. I'm like, that's what Christians do? Let's do it. So I walked around, started telling people about Jesus. The Christians didn't trust me. They thought it was a big prank. All my heathen friends didn't like me because I didn't want to do what they were doing anymore. And then this junior high guy quit, and the church I was at said, hey, you're telling everyone at your school about Jesus? You, you're talking about him, you're sharing the good news. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do that. Well, our junior high pastor just quit. Can you come be the junior high pastor until we find a new full-time one? And I was like, yeah, 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 what do I do? Do I just tell him about Jesus? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I walk in my first night, and I did my hair all up. Back then it was the middle part hair, the frosted tips thing, puffy vest, sync style. I was in this to win it. And I went into this group, and these are just a sea of little pubescent, prepubescent children, and I'm this giant, goofy, 18-year-old kid. I have no idea what I'm doing, and all they do is they look up and they say, wow, you're like Goliath, but mind you, I haven't finished reading the Bible yet at this point, so I look down at these little kids and I say, who is Goliath, and I should have got that from childhood, the cartoons and such, but I just didn't. I didn't get through this book, and this book, you guys, is so important. One last story to illustrate how wet behind the ears I was. In that first youth group I was at, we had three stories. First story, second story, third story. They put the high schoolers on the top story, and we had a big old third story balcony. Within my first few months of Christianity, this was my second rebuke that I remember, me and all my guy friends were seeing whose Bible was the bounciest from three stories. So you can imagine at a conservative church where people wear ties and suits and and, uh, Dracar Noir cologne, they... uh, they were not pleased about me bouncing my student Bible from the third story. And I got heavily rebuked for that one. What I want to talk about today is this book because I have this fear, this growing fear, that we all own these. As a matter of fact, I read a 79-page report on 2015 about the Bible, about how many people read the Bible, know the Bible, own the Bible. And Barna lays out this report. I'll post a link to it on the Facebook wall today if you're interested in doing that. And they broke it down by generation. So just for my own curiosity, can you participate in this for me? How many of you own a Bible? Own a Bible. Okay, if you don't own a Bible, you can steal one from Lost and Found. People have already stolen all the other Bibles that we got. It's cool. By the way, the Bible at a bookstore in Chicago was the most stolen book, which I think is hilarious and awesome. Okay, how many of you own more than three Bibles? Okay. How many of you own more than, not counting your app? I know some of you are in your app like, I've got 73. No counting your app. How many of you own more than six Bibles? Wow. Look around, you guys. These are very holy people. Now, this just means they really need Jesus. How many of you think you own more than 10 Bibles? Okay, look around. Anyone owns more than 10 Bibles, they've worked at a church before, I promise you. This is the reality of life. One of the things about the Bible that I love is that it is the Word of God. I'm going to read a bunch of passages today. So we're going to start, uh, we're going to start in Psalm 19. And, and you, you should take heed to this because everyone that's sitting here, on some level, you're saying... Even if you're here because you're forced, you're saying, on some level, this book and what it says, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to bet part of my eternity on it. So I'm going to fly through these verses. You're not going to be able to keep up, but try if you'd like. Psalm 19, verses 7 to 11. The law of the Lord is perfect. Everyone say perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Everyone say sure. Making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Everyone say right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Everyone say pure. Pure. 
enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord, I like this one, is clean. Everyone say clean. You know that phrase, cleanliness is next to godliness? That's not in the Bible. But they do that on YouTube. They go out and ask people in the streets, which of these is not a Bible verse? And everyone thinks cleanliness is next to godliness. It's in the Bible. It's not, but it comes from things like that. Let's keep going. Enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true. Everyone say true. And righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. The Bible is true and clean and pure. More to be desired than gold. Than gold. This morning, I took a coin from my house. It's one ounce of gold, approximately um, valued at about $1,500 today. And I taped it under one of your guys' chairs. It's a gold coin, $1,500. If it's yours, you get it. I know which chair it is. I'm not sure if someone's sitting in it. You guys know I'm lying. I'm a, I'm a pastor. Why'd you check under your chair? I'm just kidding. Take a back. You want me to in my chair? Happy New Year to me. No, I'm just playing. But seriously, if the coin were here and we had to choose between a pile of gold, much fine gold, or this word, I, I think too many of us would choose the gold because we have bills and life is hard. What I think is happening, though, is that we're forgetting what this book can actually bring us to and give us. Let me read one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who, not walk, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and all that he does he prospers. Man, I want to be a tree. I want to be a tree that is planted by a stream, and I want to be strong in the Lord, and I think sometimes I've, I've forgotten that the way to do that is to be planted in God's word, to delight in God's word. So, the Bible, we all own one. If you don't own one, you could steal one from your neighbor because they probably own two or ten. I want you to commit this year to try to just read the Bible more than you did last year. Some of you are going to be like, this is the easiest job ever. One chapter, one and done. Um, and that's good. If that's one and done, you that's more than last year. That's 100% more chapters than last year. But we have Bible reading plans that I, I really want you to pray about getting because of this. I want you to be trees planted by streams that are strong and they bear fruit in their season. I don't want to pastor a church that is a bunch of weeds that are in the desert that are wilting from dehydration. And if the Barna study is any indicator, man, we're in a heap of trouble. But what's interesting is this, and I just want to do a survey just to see how close the Barna study was to you guys. How many of you believe that if more politicians read the Bible, this was a legit question, that our country would be in a better place if more of our politicians read the Bible? I'm just checking. Some of you are like, they're beyond help. The Bible ain't going to help. You need to lynch them with the Bible. You ain't going to help them with the Bible. Uh, over 50% of all people, this is including millennials, so millennials are the 18 to 30-year-olds, and then the, the Gen Xer types, me, is the 31 to 45-ish, and you got the boomers, and then the builders. Um, everyone across the board, the majority would say, so over 50% said, yes, our politicians should be reading more of the Bible. I thought that was very fascinating. Seven out of 10 Americans believe the Bible, I believe incorrectly, that the Bible is currently available in all of the world's languages. Did you know that the Bible is still not in the hands of people who don't know Jesus? 
I remember when I was in India, it was the weirdest feeling to me because I was walking around with my friend and we were in these tea gardens where they oppress people and it's very bad news stuff. And the, the tour guide I was with was walking with us and I was asking about Jesus and all the stuff in the area. And then he goes, look that way, Pastor. And I look up this big hill. And I, yeah, what's up there? And he said, not more than five kilometers up and over that hill, there's a people group that have never heard the name of Jesus. They have no Bible in their language. They've never heard the name of Jesus. And I said, five kilometers? How many miles is that? Five kilometers? People run 5Ks all the time. We could just walk over the hill, say Jesus, walk back, victory, hashtag done. They said, you could do that, but they might kill you. And then the scared, white, suburban person inside me says, no, don't die. I just wanted to charge over that hill more than anything. And they said, we don't have time. There's angry monkeys. No joke. They said, there's angry monkeys. Um, like the actual monkeys would throw things at me. So, so they, they're committing to reach that group to properly, to not just go yell Jesus at the mountaintop, but to give them a Bible in their word, in their own uh, native language. But I think that's fascinating to me, that the Bible is not available in still very many countries. It's only available in about 72% of the languages of the world. 72%. 72%. I've got so many Bibles at my house and so many translations, um, I don't know what to do with them. I've shared this before. When I get too many Bibles, I bury them in a Tupperware that's waterproof, and I write a note, and I just bury it in the ground somewhere in the wilderness and hope that somebody finds it one day, because I don't want to get rid of them. I don't want to throw them away. Nobody wants my used Bibles, um, but that's what I do. But there's people out there that are dying for one page of the Bible. In uh, the 1950s and 60s, my friend Bill Scott was a missionary in India, and, and he said, Ryan... When we first got here, he's an Irish guy, a little short Irish guy, so I don't want to try his accent. But he said, they could not get, uh, they, we could not get Bibles into anyone's hands. Nobody wanted the Bible. We'd give them Bibles, they'd rip out the pages and use it for fire. We'd, we'd give them Bibles and they would, they would use it for propping up a, a table or a desk or something else. So what we did is we just prayed. I rallied all my friends in India and we prayed 24 hours a day, constantly, nonstop. Somebody was praying for India. And he said, Ryan, I can't explain to you what happened. But we went through a dark period where nobody wanted anything. Nobody wanted anything to do with Jesus. Nobody wanted anything to do with the Bible. So we just set our minds to pray. And then all across India, within a two-year period, he said, we all felt it. It was like a darkness lifted. And as soon as it did, we could not get enough Bibles into the hands of people to satisfy their longing for the scriptures. They had people that would be tearing Bibles, not out of disrespect, but to split it up in their villages so that you could have the New Testament, you could have this book, you could have this page, and they would look at it and treasure it and read it like it was their life that depended on it. And here I am, I've got so many dusty Bibles at my house. I don't know why my heart constantly turns and wants gold. I, th I think of golden things more than I think of scripture things at times. Sometimes I, I forget that it's if I delight in the law of the Lord, if I delight in this book, then I'm like a tree. So we're going to do a little quiz. We had a Bible quiz before. Let's keep on quizzing. Are you guys ready? Uh, how many authors are there in the Bible, approximately? Who thinks there's more than uh, 10 different authors? Okay, who thinks there's more than 20 different authors? Okay, there's 66 books, in case you missed that Bible trivia question. 66 books, more than 20. Who thinks there's more than 30 different authors? Anyone think there's more than 30 different authors? Maybe, give or take. I'm just kind of seeing who went to Bible college or grew up in a church. Who, who thinks there's more than 40 different authors? 
No one? 40? Going once? Going twice. The winner right here, the young man in middle school. Nailed it. Bible, 66 books, about 40 authors, give or take, that we know of. And in this book, will give you joy and rewards and peace that you could have never thought to find otherwise. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Psalm 119.105, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Anyone know that song? Thy word is a... You guys know that. All the gospel brethren in here got that. God's word is eternal. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. This is what the Bible is. Now here's, here's why I think we should read it. Matthew uh, 4, 4 says, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Uh, anyone here had a dark season in their life, been through a dark night? I call them the dark night of the soul. Okay, so here's one of my darkest nights. Um, I was pastoring. Life was great. And then all of a sudden, God ripped my life to shreds. And I think he did it on purpose because he loves me. And my relationship was severed. My job was severed. I had nothing left. I had no money. I didn't know what to do. And all I had been up to that point in my adult life was a pastor. And I didn't, I didn't want to be in churches anymore. I looked at churches, and they just made me sick to my stomach. So I said, God, I, I don't know what to do. I love you but I need to get out of here. My mom at the time lived in, on Hawaii, uh, the big island. So she said, Ryan, just move to Hawaii. So I sold everything that I had. I took a camera. I went into my condo on Craigslist, and I took pictures like this before they had, this, before they had the virtual reality things. And I said, come take what you want. Give me what you want. My condo was cleared out in an afternoon. I had a duffel bag of clothes and a Bible. I put all my books in storage at my grandma's house. I bought a one-way ticket with clothes and a Bible. My heart had been broken. I thought, there's no way I'm ever going to walk through a church again. I can't stand church people. They bug me. They're so judgmental. They're so hypocritical. But God said, you need, you need to meet me. So I, I put all my theology books that I don't need these, and I grabbed my Bible. It was the one I had just before, the same Bible, uh, different color. And I got off the plane. My mom picked me up. She was late. So imagine you're already feeling rejected. Your mother's late at the airport. I was all angry. Like, well, you're late. I'm hurting. I'm your son. And uh, she said, where do you, you want to go first? You want to get some food? And if you know me, the answer to that question is always yes. But in this case, I said, no, Mom, I just need to go somewhere quiet, like a beach. So she drove me to this beach called Old A's, and I'll never, ever, ever forget Old A's Beach. It's not a particularly beautiful beach, although it is in Hawaii. I walked down to the sand. And I just had my duffel bag in the trunk, took my, had my Bible out. I sat down in the sand, put my feet in the sand, looked out at the Pacific, and I just broke down. I said, God, I've read so much about you, but I don't feel like I know you. I've got all these principles in my head, but I don't need principles. I just need a dad. And I cried and cried and cried. And then my, my mom knows me. She knows I, I cried during the Lion King, so she's just like, let him get it out. I got it all out. And uh, for the better part of that year, I was just pressing into God. Now, it was a little difficult because that's when my uh, wife was trying to seduce me and, and bring me to the dark side. Um, so it was a glorious time. I was literally on an island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and I would hang out with my uh, to-be wife 
I would read the Bible. I worked as a substitute teacher in the school district, which was automated. So they would call me in the morning and say, do you want to work at this school? Press one to accept, nine to decline. I'd look out the window, hit decline, grab my Bible, go to the beach. It was the life. Uh, and I would go back to it never again because I love you so much, sweet baby darling. Um, and, and you want to know what's crazy about Hawaii? Amy went back home after a missions trip, and I was still there. And God did what he said he would do in his word. He said, I'll be here for you to give you life, to give you the joy and the peace that you're so desperately needing. I'll be here more important for you, Ryan, than food. And I didn't know what that meant because when I, when I had first gone into one of the dark scenes of my life, I didn't know how to get God's answer. So I said, God, I don't know what to do. I'm going to fast because I had read about it in the Bible. I'd been reading the Bible at that point in my life. And I, I saw Jesus fasted for 40 days. Moses fasted for 40 days back to back. So I thought, I think this is the Bible thing to do. Like, let's just fast for 40 days and see what God does. So I said, God, I'm going to stop eating for 40 days, which if you know me, that's a very serious thing. And I, I did. I stopped eating for 40 days, and I was miserable. Um, don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Fasting is a misery. It, it's absolute misery. But what happens is this verse, when you read it after you haven't eaten for 38 days, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God, that verse means something real different. That verse means something real different. When your world is crumbling around you and all you want to do is jump into some food, some sin, some something, and you remember, I cannot live without this word. Are you there with the Bible? Do you have the faith to follow what the Bible says? Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If you want more faith this year in 2016, get in this book. If you've been thinking, I don't have enough faith, I don't believe enough, how can I get more belief? Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. So get in the book and say, God, give me faith. One of the things I love praying when I, I'm, I go to the Bible, it's called the IOUs. I stole it from another pastor. I is incline my heart to your testimony. You know why I have to pray that? Because my heart is disinclined. My heart says, I don't want to do this. You know what my heart wants to do every day? No joke. I want to wake up. I want a big old pot of Buddy Brew coffee. I want at least seven to eight strips of bacon. And I want my kids to be obedient. And I want a foot rub. That's all I want. Every day. If I could do that every day, oh, I wouldn't even, I would just, that's it. That's life. That's what heaven's going to be like. I don't know who's going to give me a foot rub in heaven, but I'm sure that bacon Bible, foot rub, obedient kid, that's all there, coffee. So I say, God, incline my heart to your word because I'm disinclined. I don't naturally want it. Have you guys ever wondered why you can pick up a Sports Illustrated magazine or a People magazine and you could read it for like 30 minutes without a distraction in the world? Have you ever wondered that? And then you pick up the Bible and you get through Matthew 1, chapter 1, verse 1, and you're already thinking about grocery lists, angry spouses, and everything else in the world? Have you ever wondered why that happens? It's not an accident. I mean, go do it today. Go get your favorite magazine, whatever it is. I know we're in Florida, so it's like Field and Stream. Go get that out, lay it next to your Bible, and say, okay, which one am I going to do? I'm going to just read Field and Stream, and just time. How long until I get distracted from something? And man, you could rip through that, and then you go to the Bible. Time. How long until I get distracted from something? It is not an accident. It's called spiritual warfare, because there is an actual spiritual presence that is trying to get you to not read your Bible, because... The enemy is trying to lie, deceive, and steal, and rob joy from you. And God's saying, I gave you a book to give you joy, life, and the, the path 
to Jesus is right here. Too many of us listen to the voices in our heads and the voices in our TVs rather than the Bible. Now, here's my problem though, that I have to admit. I don't know how to preach this aspect. When I was growing up in the, after I got saved in the church, it was like this heavy emphasis on the TV is evil and of the devil. Like, man, if you're watching TV and not reading your Bible, you suck. That's a paraphrase. And, and I, I felt so bad because I love TV so much. And, and now TV is even cooler. I don't know about you guys, but we got a new TV when we moved to Florida. My wife and I have had the same 32-inch TV for eight years, 32-inch plasma. And I would go into Costco, and the TVs are so real nowadays, you could just smell the sweat on the team that's losing to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And that's, now I, I just love it even more. I watched War Room last night because I'm a sucker for really good movies and then also cheesy Christian films. Um, so I watched War Room. I was into it. My wife, she knew it was going to go down. Because the TV is so real, I got sucked in. And they were praying in that movie and talking about Jesus. And I felt like I was right in there with Miss Clara. That's one of the main characters. You've got to check this movie out. And she's praying. And, and there's a scene. There's a scene. I don't want to give it away too much because... Um, because if you haven't seen it by now, you're a heathen anyway. So there's this scene where the wife is kicking the devil out of her house. And, and I'm not, I, I pretend, because my brother's half black. You know, I'm half Filipino. My brother's half black. So we all, like, make racial jokes. It's really bad. That's why I'm preaching about it in a couple weeks. But, man, there's just this fire that certain races get that other races don't, right? Like, there's, like, the Latina wife. You know, she'll kill people. There's the Puerto Rican ladies that, you know, like, they'll go post on a server, um, there's the Asian guys, you know, they're calm. Even if someone slaps them, they're like, I'm calm. That's like our personality. Um, but, but there's this thing that I just wish I had like this fire. So this, this, this wife, she's walking around her house with her Bible because she knows that her house has had havoc wreaked on it, that, that Satan and that non-Bible reading, non-praying has just dominated her house. So she's kicking Satan and evil out of her house one room at a time, just sort of flushing them out. Devil, get on out. You ain't welcome. Jesus won. And it's getting all gospely, and I'm like this. And then, literally, she walks back into her house, closes the door, and then opens it back up and says, and one more thing, <laughs> talking to Satan. And I'm not, I kid you not, my wife mocked me for this. I literally was so into this movie, I threw up a fist bump. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. And she goes, did you just seriously fist bump? I was like, no. I had an itch on my other elbow. You know what got her to that? She started writing these verses down on her wall. She started saying them and saying, I'm going to pray and I'm going to commit myself to praying God's word for my family. And that's what changed the script. That's what changed the trajectory. So many of us right now are listening to the same stories over and over and wondering why our life can't get off of this jacked up, messed up track and onto one that's God-centered, Jesus-loving. It's because we keep listening to the same sermons. We keep reading the same books, and they're not sermons or books. Let me just clarify. We keep watching the same shows. We keep listening to the same things, and we don't get our eyes off of that and onto Jesus. And then we say, why can't I love Jesus more? It's because we keep putting our eyes and our heart on something that is going to take us down that track. It's like a railroad. It's really easy. Railroad tracks, they go the way that they're laid. And if you're looking at a track that's aimed that way, you're going to go that way. If you want to go on a Jesus track, you've got to go on the tracks that God laid. You've got to get into this book. Man, here's what I love about the Bible. The Word of God is living and active. Living and active. This book is alive. It's alive. This is the only book um, that I've been able to read this number of times in my life. 
I've read a few books a few times. I've read Lord of the Rings a bunch of times because I'm a nerd. Um, I, I've, I just read this book about Florida, A Land Remembered, that everyone says was awesome, and the teenager said it was terrible. I loved it. I'm going to read that again. But this book I read every year. Since 2006, I've been reading the same reading plan called the Discipleship Journal Reading Plan. Uh, that reading plan is on the back of guest services. This year, I'm switching for the first time since 2006. I'm reading a Bible reading plan. It, no joke, this is what it's called. The Bible Eater. That's what my Bible reading plan is called. The Bible Eater. A plan for feeding on Christ in the whole Bible in one year. Because I like food, you guys. Here's what I want to tell you. Make a plan to get more Bible in you this year than you had last year. If you fail, don't feel bad about it. I wrote this huge frequently asked questions on the website talking about it's, if the Bible's too hard, if it's too much reading, if, if, what translation do I use? All these questions that I get when talking about the Bible, it's on the website right now, but I want you to make some sort of plan to read the Bible because it is living and active. And this living, active Bible, as you read it and engage with it every day, it will be sharper than a two-edged sword. It will pierce your life, the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it will discern the thoughts and intentions of your heart. The Bible is the one book you can't hide from. You can hide from a lot of things in life, but you can't hide from the Bible. When you pick up the Bible, even if you play Bible roulette, which I don't highly recommend, if you don't know what Bible roulette is, this is the game of Bible roulette. I say, hey, where are you in the Bible? And they say, oh, I just pick it up in the morning and I kind of go like this. Bam! And I, I read a verse and I say, God speak to me. And sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. The reason I don't play Bible roulette is because I've seen that go down where you play Bible roulette and then the one verse you read is about a guy peeing inside of a cave and you close it and say amen and you have no idea what that story is even about. It's just weird. Like you don't want to be that or you have a Bible roulette and all of a sudden there's kids yelling at a bald guy and a bear ate the kids. Well, I don't like this religion. Let's close that book right up. Get in the Bible. Learn the story. If you don't know where to start, Get a Bible reading plan. If it's too much reading, just read one column of a Bible reading plan. The other reading plan that I put out, there's three. There's Bible Eater, because that's what I'm trying, so I wanted to share it with you if you want to try it. There's the Discipleship Journal. I like that because you read from four different spots. Old Testament, Wisdom Literature, Wisdom Literature, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And then you read a New Testament book, one of the letters, and a Gospel, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. So that's why I like that, because it broke it up each day. You had four sections. And then there's the Chronological Bible, which is uh, a couple people have said they're already into that one. They love it. That's where you start in Genesis chapter 1, but you read the Bible in the order as best we know that it actually happened. So for those of you who don't know, the Bible is 66 books written by 40 different authors over a span of 1,600 years. In that whole span of writing, uh, different times, different books are placed in different locations. The Catholic Church has some bonus books. They're called the Apocrypha. We don't have those in our Bible. We are Protestants. That's what the umbrella that we're under. Protestant literally means we protest some things the Catholic Church did way back when and still do now. So you, you get these books of the Bible, 66, and you read them in order. So you read Genesis 1 to 11, and then, in, then you take a, a stop right there because that's a new break in the story. Guess which book would insert right there? Anyone have a guess? Job, yeah, or Job, if you don't know what Christian church language is like. Sometimes we only talk Christianese. The book of Job is right there. He's a guy that gets beat up, smashed up, messed up from God, and he complains and whines and then gets dined, and then he gets his stuff back in the end. And then you finish Job, you go back to Genesis 12. But what's really interesting about the chronological book of the, uh, order of the Bible is this. Some of you have read through all those crazy names just in the table of contents, Malachi, Habakkuk, Hosea, and you think, where do those all fit in? What I love about the chronological Bible is that as you're reading the history books, those are the 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, it will insert the prophets into there so you know, okay, 
as this king is doing this, that's when Isaiah says that. As this guy is doing this, that's when this psalm is being written. Because then it makes way more sense when you read Psalm 51 that you find out that David got busted sleeping with Bathsheba in front of the whole kingdom, and then he wrote that heart-wrenching psalm that says, I'm a wretched sinner, I need God's grace. Then those things make sense. So that's what the chronological Bible reading plan does, and it starts from Genesis, goes all to Revelation. Was that too fast? Okay, I haven't had coffee. I'm sorry if I'm going too fast. Next, the Bible in Jeremiah 23, 29 says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? We've done this before. I told all the wives, and this, this prayer has been so great. I've gotten so much feedback about this prayer. I told all the wives, if your husband's a bum, this is what you do. You say, God, get him, amen. That's your prayer every day. God, go get him, amen. The Bible is a hammer, a hammer. I don't know about you guys, but I love hammers. I love breaking things. One of the joys you can have as a teenager is the first time someone gives you a sledgehammer and a wall. Anyone done this before? It is exhilarating. The one guy that's like from Florida, you know, amen, give me a wall and a sledgehammer, that's a good time. I can't wait to give my, my kids a, a hammer and a wall on purpose, they done it on, on, on purpose, <laughs> to break it down. God's word is a hammer that can break the hardest of hearts. Some of you know there are areas in your life where your heart is hard, where you say, God, you can have every area except for this one. That's where you need to bring the Bible to bear, right on that part of your life. Some of you have relationships that are hard as stone, and you think, there's no way that my marriage can get better, there's no way that this child can get better, there's no way that my friendship will ever get restored. You need to bring God's word to that because it is not only a hammer, but it's a healing balm. It will not only break down, it will build up the correct way. And for too long, I think, We've neglected this book and let, we've let it get dusty. I want you guys, we'll, we'll try to end on this tale. Um, when you go to this book this year, handle it well. There's a way to be jacked up when you read this book. It, it's, uh, if you take this book and you only look for the coffee mug verses, the ones that only speak good to you, then you're going to end up forming God in the image of you. So I want you to do as Paul commended Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Take your time. Take your time when you read this book. Don't try to speed read it. Take your time with it. There's a, um, there's a lot of stories about people with Bibles and one that's stuck in my head. Way back in the day, there was this song called Jesus Freak by DC Talk. This was like right before I got saved, but it was all the rage. And I loved it because I like being called a freak. And then these books came out called Jesus Freaks. And one story, I've not read this book in 15 years maybe. I can't get this story out of my head because it, it, it happened in Russia and there was a group having a Bible study and the soldiers came in and they kicked the door down and they said, what are you guys doing here? Give us all your Bibles. And they took the Bibles and they, uh, they, said they made the people recant. They said, recant, say that you don't believe in the Bible. And the first person said, I don't believe in the Bible, and they ran out. Next person, I don't believe in the Bible, and they were let to go free. And these soldiers were spitting on the Bible, mocking the Bible. And in the very end of the row in this story, and I don't, I don't know how fictional, non-fictional this is, this is from Fox's Book of Martyrs all compiled in. A little girl was there, and she picked up the Bible with the spit and the dirt and the wrinkled pages, and she wiped it off said, forgive them, Lord. And the soldier shot her. I know we talk about persecution in our culture, the 
Christians are getting persecuted because we don't want to bake a cake or whatever. Man, it's, it's just so light. There will come a time when, when real life is going to hit. There will come a time when churches will no longer get tax breaks. There will come a time, Lord willing, that your pastor will get arrested for saying something that's in the Bible. There will come a time where, where our lives will be threatened. Maybe not in your lifetime, maybe not quite in mine, but maybe in the next. And, and where this book stands in your list of priorities is going to determine a lot about your trajectory and your joy going forward. Where this book stands in your life is going to give you something to stand on when life starts crumbling around you. The reason why I love giving Bibles away is because without this book, I wouldn't be here today. The reason why I tell you to take a Bible from Lost and Found if you don't own one is because I think that we need to get as much of this in us as possible. I know it's not like the frills and thrills sermon, but it's the lifeblood one for me. Because if, if you don't believe in this book, I'm not 100% sure what we're doing. And if you're a skeptic here, man, let's talk. I'll talk to you for days about why this is reliable. I'll talk to you for days about the translation process. I'll talk to you for years about what this has done for my life and what it can do for yours. Skeptics are welcome here at the chapel. But we're always going to come back to this book. As I told uh, one of the members early on, when I was told that I was uh, younger than some of their pairs of shoes. They were letting me know that I was a young pastor. They said, I've got shoes older than you. And I said, well, I've got a book older than you. And that's where we're going to stand on. So let's pray. I'm going to invite the ushers forward. Host, if you'd come forward, we'll pray and do the offering in one fell swoop. And we'll do some announcements, and then we'll head on out of here. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I don't, uh, I don't know where I'd be without this book. Lord, you know that I've read the, the translation of the Koran and the Vedas and the Book of Mormon. You know that I've read all these religious books searching for answers. And, uh, and your book is the one that screams from the top of the mountain. I love you died for you. Come to me in your mind. No other book has done that for me, God, and no other book I believe can do that for anyone else. So I pray that this year you would root us and ground us in this book, that we would stop messing around, that we would have a passion. God, in the name of Jesus Christ, get every person in this room to open their Bibles today, put their face down in it, for the times they failed but know that you love them despite their failure if they don't know where to start God have them call a friend have them Facebook me email me, text me, grab me after service say where do I start and let us become a people shaped by this book till this world sees your face again in his name we pray, amen